How do we create more sustainable people, businesses and a more sustainable world? At EarthSelf, we believe you need to create harmony between humanity and nature. Sustainable the podcast brings you inspiring interviews with leaders who are taking action to help create harmony between humanity and nature. Join your host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, to discover nature-connected ways of being and working and become inspired to take action. In episode 111, I spoke with Jen Perry, founder of Gelt Belts, about her unique belt made from plastic bottles and how she's created a sustainable and responsible fashion company that gives back. Today, I'm speaking to Shad Edom. As Global Facilities Manager, Shad is responsible for managing and maintaining Park Place technology sites, sales offices, distribution centres and operation centres throughout the US, Europe, Asia and the Middle East. As a seasoned veteran at Park Place, Shad brings an understanding of the business and a willingness to always move beyond the needle. Prior to Park Place, Shad served in the United States Coast Guard and was a preload supervisor for the United Parcel Service. In his spare time, Shad enjoys swimming, gardening, home improvement and his dog Fritz. Shad also enjoys the theatre, spirited conversation, boating and youth mentoring. Shad is a graduate of Concordia University at Irvine and has been happily married for 14 years. Welcome Shad, it's such a pleasure to have you on Sustainable today. Thank you very much, I'm pleased to be here today. So why does Park Place Technologies focus on maintaining technology within data centers as part of its its business offering? Great question. Um, it is essentially, that is our business model, um, something we've been doing for 27 years. Um, it, 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 it lends to a, a market that it fills a need for our, our, um, for our customers. It also fills a need uh, for sustainability, and it also makes a business model that is very profitable. Um, we, are, we, we are recession uh, resistant because of this. Um, you know, people tend to hang on to equipment longer when things get a little bit tough, and they tend to buy new when things are, you know, really good. Um, so in both instances, we're there to help our customers, um, whether or not it's new equipment or it's old equipment. But the reality is the backbone of our, our business is to keep people's data center equipment running as long as we possibly can uh, at a huge savings to our customers. And I love that because, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a couple of key points that I just want to tease out there from what you said. First of all, this is a business model that's been going on for 27 years. So this is before sustainability was even a word, really, in mainstream language. And not only is it just something that you've always done because it made good sense, but you're highlighting a really, really powerful point that you can be sustainable and profitable as well when you're able to actually have a resilient business model. Absolutely. And you know, what... What we've been able to achieve is that through this type of business model, we have found ways to recycle goods. Um, what not everybody realizes is that oftentimes within computer components and data center components, there's a wealth of um, precious metals, um, copper, aluminum, there's uh, nickel, uh, gold, silver. Each of those things are contained in every single computer. And by harvesting that those precious metals and finding a way for them to get back into certain Circulation, rather than going after our natural resources that are already at a premium, um, not only are we, we, we sustaining the environment, but we're also able to be profitable by selling this back to uh, companies that recycle for us. 
Yeah, and that's that's really powerful because I mean, I I think I mean I I know like me, I'm looking at the the, the laptop in front of me and going, God, I've never really considered the amount of precious metals within within technology at all. And being able to take that, that's one way that you're preventing um, precious metals from ending up in landfills so it can be reused. But how how what are the other ways that you prevent old technology from ending up in landfills? Well, oftentimes what we find is that equipment is actually, when it's removed from a data center, um, much of it can actually be recovered. It can actually be restored. Um, it, you know, oftentimes a company wants to go to a new equipment for a whole host of reasons for speed, um, for consistency. Maybe it's a legal requirement with the the government or a contract with another vendor or a partner. But the reality is, um, if if there is a way to take a piece of equipment and keep it working longer, in essence, what you're doing is you're keeping that piece of equipment out of the landfill longer. And that's what we help our customers do. Um, in those occasions where people shift over to new equipment, um, we tend to offer the service of actually disposing of that equipment. And to your point of keeping it actually out of the landfill, that's exactly where our recyclers come in. So we have certified recyclers that actually deal with this and they understand the importance of removing all these metals. So we are we are putting in the landfill as little as we possibly can because there is so much natural resource within every piece of equipment. But more importantly, what we do is if we can take a piece of equipment and actually restore it and test it and and make it ready for a data center, we have in essence kept that entire process out of the landfill and back in the data center. And our customers reap the benefits from that because we're without a doubt the best at doing this. Um, it, sure, I saw I'm a little biased because I love my company. Um, but the reality is if you look at the track record of our competitors and what we actually do, we surpass that in so many ways. Uh, you know, we, we've been doing this for so long that we've found a, the secret sauce, you might say, that allows us to be able to do this and replicate this over and over and over again. And we see it not only by being finding ways to save our customers money, and but we also have learned to be profitable at the same time, Tabitha. Yeah, and I, I I love that of what you're saying because I mean that that whole essence of repairing it to be able to use the equipment for longer. So I mean I, I suppose you know if I wanted to set up my own data center, not that I do, but I could come and I could get secondhand equipment from you, and that would save me money. So there would be the cost benefit at the same time helping. Yeah, and then just being able to remove as much of those metals as possible. And I think what I'm what I'm really hearing you say is, you know, I mean, and, and I know you're biased because you love your company and the enthusiasm comes through, but because this has been such a natural way of, of doing business for you, you know, for 27 years, it's, 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 it's more than habit. It's just you've constantly found ways to innovate, whereas maybe some of your competitors are only coming into the sustainability angle now that it's becoming a, a bigger issue. So they're having to learn all the stuff that you take for granted. That's absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. Mm, awesome. So then what can data centers do to reduce the power that they use and improve their carbon footprint? So what we're seeing here in the U.S., um, we, we're seeing we're seeing larger companies, you know, the Apples, the Googles, the Amazons. Um, these companies have the resources, but they're very focused on being green. So oftentimes, these larger data centers, they're leveraging wind power, they're leveraging um, uh, solar power, uh, and what they're able to do is have a zero carbon footprint by producing enough energy to sustain their data centers. Now, will they be able to sustain their data centers completely? No, 
um, you're, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of power that's going to be used, but for the majority of those those data centers are literally harvesting the energy of the planet to run their data centers. Now, the other thing that's happening, which is really exciting in the industry, is we're starting to find that um, the data center managers that have that house these this equipment, they are going to virtualization. And what virtualization is when you take a a very large computer, and I'm oversimplifying this a bit for your for your listeners, but um, when you take virtualization and you have a very large computer, you essentially can virtualize smaller computers that sit on top of that computer. So what that does for the data center is it creates a much smaller footprint inside the data center and you're achieving the same bandwidth. And oftentimes you actually get more performance out of that environment than if you were to have multiple servers doing the exact same thing. So in essence, we help our customers actually steer them in those directions oftentimes to help them to understand the importance of shrinking their footprint in the data center and driving them closer to their goals. Mm, no, I like that. And the mind is the mind is boggling as I'm trying to grasp this because I'm not tech, tech, technologically minded at all. But I mean, being able to harvest the energy of the planet and really bringing in renewable energies. But as you're talking about this virtualization of computers, and I mean, my mind is going, gosh, like when we get quantum computers, you know, when that becomes a reality, then the potential of being able to reduce what's happening within data, data centers as well is going to magnify. I mean, am I right in that assumption there? Absolutely. Data centers, the footprint data centers will get much smaller as we move forward. We're finding that, um, I'll give you an example, you know, uh, an average, uh, maybe a company of 500 to 1,000 people would have a data center footprint of maybe um, five to six servers um, on, a, on a normal basis. But the reality is that can be condensed down to two or three and actually have more performance and have more storage because you're leveraging the, the, the total energy of the server itself. And with and again, without getting too much into detail, it essentially takes a much, much, much larger footprint and reduces it down to something very, very small. And in essence, those those environments use less energy overall. Um, they tend to run more efficiently, um, so the actual power consumption is less, and overall performance is much greater. And this is something that we're going to continue to see as a normal um, every day in data centers. Um, many, many. Um, companies struggle with this because it's a very expensive process to convert, but companies that understand the importance of not only being um, to to reduce the shrinkage in in a in, in a type of department like I like uh, information technologies is a cost center for most companies. So you're always looking for ways to be able to save money because you're not really generating revenue through that cost center. So you got to find ways, more creative ways to help our customers, you know, find ways to to basically stretch their dollars, and that's what we do here. Park places. We find solutions to help our customers stretch their dollars and find solutions that work for them. Mm, yeah, and, and and they just so happen to be sustainable because I mean that's the real essence of what I'm hearing you say there. And in terms of sharing the technology and sharing the drive for sustainability, you're saying that if you do this, yes, you're going to save money. And it's good for the planet. So it's almost, you know, the the, the two you can't separate the two out of what you're doing really. No, absolutely not. And it's a, and, and the reality is this, these are the type of things that every company is interested in. Um, never have I known or listened or 
been in company with anybody that talks about, hey, let's let's find ways to use more energy. Let's find ways to spend more money. Let's, you know, let's let's put something that's very inefficient um, in our way. Um, there, right, that's retrograde to what you want to achieve in a company environment. You in the enterprise, you want it to be as efficient. You want to have as much bandwidth as you possibly can for your systems and your employees. Um, nobody wants to sit and have to constantly reboot their computer on a regular basis because they don't feel like they the, the the speed or the performance is not there for them. So not only are, it's a it's a win win for everybody. Um, the companies uh, the companies that invest in this technology they get the bandwidth that they want. Um, but at the same time, their cost of operating that equipment shrinks considerably. And then in essence, what we don't see is the part where it actually conserves energy. And we oftentimes don't think about all the things that, that go into uh, people getting their car and drive to work. They go to the data center and flip on the lights. You know, they fire up the equipment. And they're, in every facet, we're using some form of energy. So by shrinking that footprint and using less energy overall, we're seeing a systemic um, improvement across the board for every facet of IT. Mm. Oh, gosh, that that is just so exciting because it's one of those things that I know a lot of people don't even consider how much technology does take or they do consider it. And there's this almost like this 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 bemoaning the fact that technology is disconnecting us from the natural world. And there's arguments for and against. And we were talking about this before we got on the got on, on, on the podcast about something else. We're saying let's let's not bother with the debate, but let's look at what we can do. And, you know, what you're really saying is. On a practical level, technology is here to stay, and this is a way that technology can actually help us to be- take better care of the environment and help us out financially within our organisations as well, potentially even turning IT from a cost into an opportunity. Absolutely. And I think that has to be the mindset um, going forward because this this business is very competitive. Um, and when I say the, the business, what I mean by that is that you're going to have, you know, we're not the only person doing this. Um, every company has has a server somewhere in the world. Um, that's the part that's very difficult to connect the dots um, when you don't have a, an understanding of how it all kind of the pieces go together. And, and, by getting people to understand how this process works and how companies are actually taking steps to make things better, I think it, it, it changes your perspective on it a bit um, to know that these things are happening, but we don't have that basic level of understanding in the public. You know, what people see is these big data centers that have electric cables coming in from every direction, and the, the conventional wisdom tells us, hey, you know what? That must use a lot of energy, and it does absolutely. But you know, to 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 circle back to your point, this is exactly this is exactly what has to happen in order to be able to have a more objective conversation about what's green and what's not green and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, everybody from the top down, everybody from the biggest OEMs, Microsoft, Dell. Um, Apple, you know, any of the the big players in the business, they are very, very, very concerned about, you know, their profitability. their profitability translates into infrastructure uh, and, and improvements and innovations. And so when companies are flush with, with dollars, they have, the, they have the investment to be able to invest in new technologies. It's very, very difficult. So in essence, we're helping each other out by growing the technology in every direction. And it will take our help. Um, we're starting to see you know, everything from our handheld devices are using less power. Um, they're finding ways to make things last longer. You know, Conventional wisdom tells us that 
that everything is disposable, but you know that's not the that's not the truth for every single facet of the business, and and for general public, you know, oftentimes you know electronics and technology is a very expensive spend for many people, and to be able to create equipment that actually not only has longevity but uses a very very small amount of power opens up the dialogue for better improvements better uh, innovation and better just overall performance Hmm. and i like it i mean it it reminds me of the i was reading something about how they were teaching um tribesmen in in rural parts of south um, america and then also in africa how to use technology connected to the internet so they could actually track animal movements so that they could better manage and conserve the environment and i mean it's it's exactly that whole point that you're making the more that we can make that technology quicker easier cheaper you know maybe eventually they're all going to have like little solar panel packs on them so as you're out in the sun you know they're charging up who knows i mean it's 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 a wonderful world of possibilities but that potential there to to really help us collaborate and move 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 society and humanity forward is is quite mind-boggling when you consider it as a possibility it is absolutely, and it's it's exciting. The one thing I can tell you in the the the, the ten years that I've been with my company, um, one of the things I've always I've always been fascinated about is like how how much it changes, how quickly it changes, um, how you you're constantly in a in a state of flux. But it's it's a it's a very it's a good feeling because you're constantly engaging in new activities and learning new things, and you're able to apply those things that help us to grow as an organization. Because in the end. Back to your point with things being faster and more accessible, this has to be the case for not only for the public, but also for for companies. Companies have to have the access to this type of technology. And by us us and other organizations making these investments in this infrastructure and finding ways to keep the the public, um, I, I guess, to, to keep keep this a uh, a realistic uh, debate um, we are making the changes um, and oftentimes larger companies that are much larger than us are making these decisions for us um, in an effort to save money and also to be responsible and it's becoming more and more important to the survival of a company um, let's face it if you are a, a gross polluter um, it doesn't take much to be exposed for being a gross polluter if you are not making the right business decisions it doesn't take much to expose you for that either and when you are an honest company and you make the right decisions and you're transparent on every aspect of it um, you, you you tend to your business drives around that because it's consistent it's honest is transparent. Mm, no, really, really beautifully put. So something when we first spoke, Shad, that you mentioned was that even though Park Place Technologies is a global organisation, it still has this community culture. So, I mean, how does Park Place Technologies create that community culture within a global organisation? Wow, that is a great question. Um, so, you know, I, oftentimes I, I, I'm faced with this. You know, we we focus a lot on culture in our company because it's very, very important to us. You know, with 27 years of tenured experience and success, we have to look at like, you know, what is it exactly that makes us who we are? And when you look at our operation, you start to look at that it's not the carpet, it's not the cubes, it's not the laptops that sit on our desks or the lighting above us. It's our people. And because we attract the best people that we possibly can, we tend to have this this 
the sense of, uh, you know, it, it's a sense of calm. It, it, things get done. People work together. We collaborate. And when you put lots and lots of people that are like-minded and think like this and actually care about these things, um, I can't tell you that I've ever been in a situation where I talked about something like this with somebody and, and the, you know, they said, well, that's, that's not true or we shouldn't do that or that's a bad decision or that's going to cost us too much money. Yeah. You know, the reality is we're always constantly thinking about like, hey, how can we do that better? And because we have that common mindset across the, the board, that's what drives our culture. And that's what allows us to take that culture and carry it into our other entities um, globally, into Europe, into the APAC regions of the country, the world, um, other parts of the United States. You know, a lot of times it's just getting people together and getting them to talk and get them to work together to drive that, that model towards success. Mm, and I like that. So, I mean, when you're talking about culture, but it also sound, sounds as when you're talking about the collaboration and the like-minded people, it's almost like there's an alignment of values as well when you're actually maybe taking over other organisations and, and incorporating them or expanding your reach. I mean, would that be accurate assumption from what Absolutely. You said? Absolutely. In fact, you know, when we look at a company to acquire, um, there's a lot of thought that went into it. It's not just the bottom line. It's not just the dollars that can be achieved. It's not just, you know, having a strategic location. It's we have to ask ourselves, hey, will these people work well with our people? Uh, will we work well with them? Um, you know, how can we, you know, how can we bridge the gap of um, two different cultures, um, three different cultures. You know, the reality is, you know, we're we're doing that every day. Um, we're working on a on a very large project in Singapore and Malaysia right now, and I have to tell you, it's a learning experience for me, it, and it's fascinating because a piece, some of it is culture, um, some of it is um, it's it, it's the difference in the way that business operates in different countries. But the reality is, we have one common thread: we all want to be successful. We all want to um, drive toward a common goal. We, we we speak the same language. And even though we have this cultural divide where we speak different languages, we still understand the, the mission of our company. And we also understand what we need to do to get the job done. And I think that's universal. And that is a huge part of our success with our acquisitions throughout the, the globe is that we choose companies that will complement us. Mm. I like that. So really, really, really taking care in, 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 in the approach. So it's not just, I mean, it, it's always what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you say there. It's, it's not just aggressive growth for the sake of expansion and um, domination. It's no, 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 no. We're going to do this because it's actually going to make us a better company. And, and by, by acquiring this, this organization, we're going to work better together. Absolutely. We're proud of our legacy. And I think it's important that we continue that. And um, I had a very nice chat with uh, two of our, um, our, our our directors in the UK. And um, th th it was so fascinating to listen to them, how much we were on the same page. Um, the first time I ever met them, and we were talking about the things that we were excited about. And they were telling me about things that they were excited about. And at the end of the day, we were excited about the same thing. And this was my first time talking with them. Um, um, uh, as since they we they they joined our team. Mm, no, that's awesome. We'll be right back after this short nature break.
So then how has focusing on zero waste technology impacted the way that you live your daily life then? Well, because it's you know because it's always it's always a a part of my day. Um, I find that it does it does translate into you know uh, for example you know if I can um, if I can uh, ride share with somebody I'll ride share with them if I can walk someplace I'll walk someplace and and even though this is outside the scope of technology. I find myself making investments in my own in my own home environment that are that may have a, a capital cost up front, but the capital cost is actually doing something better for the environment, and then I can feel good about that. That I'm actually taking steps myself. So, from everything from using a le- less energy to LED lighting to having um, smart thermostats that that run your building, we're getting to a point now where we the same technology that you have in the enterprise you can now have it in your home. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, you're essentially, you're, it's just an extension of these things. Are we a long way off from this? Absolutely. But I think that we all have to start somewhere and make these changes slowly. And, and as we make these changes, we find that they become easier. And that capital cost that that strikes us as odd at first becomes a uh, a very realistic thing for all of us. And we realize that, hey, once we, once we kind of get past that portion of it, we find that not only does it benefit me, my neighbors, my friends, my brothers and sisters, it also benefits the world and our, our customers. Mm, no, I like that. So then who do you most admire and why, Shad? Oh, um, <laughs> I have a lot of people. Now, um, I would say... From from a company standpoint, our our, our leadership team, um, my leadership team is absolutely amazing. Um, they they are amazing mentors. They create opportunity for people. Their vision of seeing around the corner um, is just what gives me the energy every day to to work that much harder and drive that much further along. But in in my life, um, I would probably say my my personal hero is probably Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, he's Tony. Stark, you know, and but um, I am just so fascinated by how much how much this person cares about the complexity of bringing, um, for example, um, light rail. Um, you know, bringing that back to the United States would be huge. It's something that there's not a person under the age of thirty that doesn't say to themselves, "Gosh, it would be so nice if we had light rail that could get us from this point to that point." And you know, forget the car. You know, and one thing you know you will notice or have noticed when you travel in the U.S. that we all have. Automobiles. Oh yes, and, <laughs> and in in sometimes I feel a bit guilty about that. Um, but you know the reality is that is our culture, and we are making changes by people like Elon who are actually choosing to develop automobiles that are affordable and sustainable um, to help us make healthy choices in our life. You know, um, we're starting to see more. Um, farm growing that is in the local community. We're buying tomatoes and onions and things from our local growers, and we're not using fuel to get those things to the market. We're actually going right to the farmer and actually bringing those things to our table. So uh, I would say in my personal life, there's a lot of people that have been pioneers in this department that I admire, but you know, I really, I really admire the people that make a change every day, that make a difference every day and care every day. Mm, no, I like that. And just while it comes to mind, because you you, you moved from Elon Musk so seamlessly into uh, food there, that it, it made me think I, I interviewed the, the CEO of Square Roots, um, Tobias Peggs, and his 
co-founder is actually, I think, Elon Musk's brother or Elon Musk's cousin. I'm not kind of quite sure. But what they're doing with technology wise is that they are using technology growing like vertical farms so that they can adapt the heat, the temperature or whatever to give it a taste of as if it's grown in somewhere, somewhere else. And for me, it's, you know, it's this extension of what you're saying there. And it's, it's just that innovative, innovative um, attitude that's going on there. The fact that we could actually be growing food that could taste as if you just plucked a tomato in a in, in a farm in Italy and getting that same terra terra noir taste or whatever the 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 the, the aspect of it is and it it's it, it's just fascinating even the the fact that that's going on in the US. I mean, I find that absolutely amazing. If you if you if you have time, I'm going to send you the link because you should listen to that one. It's a, it's it's a phenomenal um, project. So we've, we've we've just given them a free plug on the back of this. So what is one of your most favorite memories of a time or place in nature and why? Favorite time and place? Well, it would have to be when I was a young boy. Um, I did a lot of hiking and camping when I was a kid. I grew up in Southern California, and my father took me um, on a road trip to Big Sur, California. And I had never seen a, a live well in my life. And but what strikes me the most, uh, the thing that I love most about that experience was that there was a very unique smell in the air. And every time I revisit that region of the country, um, those memories instantly come back to me. Um, if I smell that, and it's, it's what it is, is the smell of a uh, very like pine and, and just natural moss growing on rocks and water. And just, it's just a fascinating uh, cerebral uh, imagery that comes from it for me at least. But um, I was very fortunate to grow up in such a beautiful place. Uh, I grew up looking at the beach, um, having access to the mountains, um, hiked all my life, snowboarded. Um, I, I just have been very, very fortunate. In the military, I traveled the globe. And I, I had so many amazing opportunities to see not just life here in America, but life globally and worldwide. And I, and I find that it's important to continue that. You, know, you need to go out and see the world, see other people, understand other people. Because in the end, we all put our shoes on the same way. We still communicate with each other. We still care and love our our people. And I think it's important that we we, we cherish those experiences and those those reminders. Mm. Yeah, no, and that that's a great way to put it. And it kind of leads into to my next question, and I'm going to ask it anyway. But how have these nature experiences like this influenced and impact the work that you're doing at Park Place Technologies? <sighs> Okay. So yes, I mean, I absolutely. So one of the things that we recently did is we remodeled one of our floors. Um, we built an absolutely beautiful space for our people. And one of the things that I noticed right away, the first day we were running the office that we really maximized natural lighting. Um, we really played with color. Um, we gave works, the workstations, we had people standing up for the first time rather than sitting down all day long. And it was just fascinating to watch the smiles on people's faces and to watch to see how people work differently in different environments. And some people had the desks raised up a little bit. Some people had them all the way up. Some people stood there for the entire day. And I've, I, as of late, I've seen people that have never returned back to sitting on a chair. And I think when you can create an environment that is indoors, that is 
that gives people the opportunity to feel good about where they are and they're not trapped inside of a cubicle all day long, it really makes for a much happier person. And let's face it, if you have happy employees, they're more productive, um, they're going to be at work more often, they're going to be more engaged, um, they're going to be more collaborative, they're going to have more energy to do the things they want, and it harbors a good, solid work-life balance. Mm, yeah, no, I, I I love that. I mean, it's I just have images of the office that you've just described, and I'm just smiling, going, that would be so much better. I've worked in a call centre in my early 20s, and I can remember having to sit there and meet the quota of calls, and I couldn't stand up. And the times that I did stand up, I got told to sit down because I'm bouncing around and I'm being too distracting. I thought, oh, there was nothing worse than just sitting in a cubicle trying to work. I agree. I agree. Just looking at a cube farm, uh, you look at the, and it just, it doesn't lend to anything positive. And um, sure, I mean, this is, this is the nature of it. But, you know, the reality is, is that if you can bring, you can bring a little bit of the outside indoors, especially in a place like Cleveland. I mean, we have, I wouldn't say it's similar to the UK, but we get many days of, 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 you know, cloudy days and rain and snow and, and we get about three to four months of really good weather. And the rest of the time we're just, um, um, we're indoors. So when you can bring the outdoors indoors, or at least replicate that in some way, um, you just have much happier people. Hmm. So then what is the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today then, Shad? Well, I hope that this excites people to actually go out and think about think about how technology is changing in the world. Um, to ask yourself if you're a data center manager, you know, like, hey, what can I do? Um, these are maybe some new things that I either know or I don't know about. Um, you know, can Park Place help us? You know, achieve that goal. Um, these are the things that I hope people take away from it. That that you know the to to try to understand and wrap your mind around it, rather than take something that can be seen in such a negative light, to look at it in a positive light and realize that every day that we are helping um, we are helping the world connect. Um, right now we're talking you know uh, a sea away from each other, and we're talking perfectly through using technology. This technology is driven through a data center somewhere in the world, and um, I find that fascinating. And so rather than focusing on the negative, um, focus on how technology has enhanced our life. The fact that it brought two people that never knew each other together to have this conversation today is amazing. Mm, it is. And that is a beautiful thought to end on. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Next time on Sustainable, I'm speaking to John King, co-author of Tribal Leadership, about how the potential of successful tribal leadership in organisations can create transformational change and a more sustainable world. If you want to bring more nature into your life and your organisation, find out more about how EarthSelf's nature-connected coaching, consulting and training can help you and your organisation achieve optimal well-being and performance at www.earthself.org